Welcome to another episode of Kosher Money. I'm your host, Ellie Langer. That's my brother. I'm not the host. I'm Yaakov Langer. He is not the host. This week's episode's an interesting one. We brought in Avi Schick. He is a lawyer, a legal powerhouse, and he Fair sits... to say our tallest guest so far? One of, if not the tallest. Okay. And he speaks with people on the daily, people that may have made a mistake when it came to their finances. Um, they received a subpoena... They received a letter from the IRS. Um, you, you basically you don't want to get a have to call. Abhishek. Yeah, right. This is a guest you will not want to contact. Right. But if God forbid you are in a bit of a bind, um, right guy. he is the right person to speak to. Very interesting. We spoke about whether the FBI taps people's phones. Um, they could be listening cool to us right now. Yes, I hope so. If, if the FBI is <laughs> hey, listening, FBI. subscribe, uh, rate us five stars. <laughs> we love you. Um, and this week's episode is sponsored by Ooh. ApprovedFunding.com. Love them. And KolelChabad.org, which we're going to tell you Love both them. about in the middle of this episode. So if you're a fan of commercials, we have some short Ooh, ones. You're going to love this one. Enjoy this week's episode. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. This is going to be an interesting episode. Excited for it. Avishik, thanks for coming down. What is a day in the life, a working day in the life of Avishik? Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Um, Hopefully, don't lose any uh, uh, listeners when I uh, describe the boring life of a lawyer. But um, I'm a partner at a big law firm, and so I represent clients um, primarily who have uh, some entanglement, some interaction with government, um, mostly being investigated by government. I'm involved in a lot of different uh, Jewish community affairs, yeshivas, other organizations. I've uh, uh, been the architect of many lawsuits on behalf of the of the Jewish community, of the Orthodox community, when religious rights are, are at issue. And so I frequently, um, I spend a lot of time on the phone. My uh, my young son once thought I didn't work because all I do is uh, is type emails and, and talk on my cell phone. And that's not work. Um, but I spend a lot of time... Uh, answering questions, giving people advice, whether it's uh, talking to them about uh, perhaps a subpoena they got or some other inquiry from government about conduct that they've engaged in or uh, fielding questions about things that they uh, that they want to do. And these are financial laws for the most part? It runs the uh, the full gamut of... Uh, of, uh, of 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 our laws and and uh, almost every area of uh, of our co- daily conduct, unfortunately uh, uh, or not, is covered by some law or regulation. Um, if you're building a big building, if you're if you're a landlord, if you're in real estate, if you're in insurance, uh, uh, almost uh, any business that you're in, there are going to be a set of uh, of laws and regulations that you have to comply with and uh, and operate within. And so uh, um, we get questions. I get questions about. Uh, all sorts of interesting areas. Growing up, was this your dream career? Was this where you saw yourself? How nerdy do you think I was as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, listen, the law was something that uh, I always thought about. And, uh, you know, you, when you're not sure exactly what you want to do, so you, so you can go to law school um, and then figure it out later, right? The, the doctors uh, from very early age, those are the ones who really pay attention in class and take good notes and, and do well because you want to make sure they really know what, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I was always interested in in, uh, in issues around the law and uh, and uh, you know litigation where you get to uh, to uh, argue and get paid for it. Seems like a, a nice profession for a Jewish boy, and so 
that's where I ended up. So you cherish when the phone call comes in, you start billing, you push the button, and the billing starts? Uh, there's a lot of uh, lawyer jokes, and uh, probably the podcast is not long enough uh, <laughs> to get through even half of the good ones. So you represent people that have allegedly done something wrong. And I know you've mentioned in the past, fortunately and factually, it's true that most Jews live a life of proper conduct. Um, they're, they're doing the right thing, though there is a small subset of people that may have taken a wrong turn. And I don't think it's any different than people that are not Jewish. There's always a subset of people that may have taken a wrong turn. My question here is, what causes, you have to think most people, if not all people, are good. What causes a good person to make a wrong decision? Very often it's greed. Um, uh, I always say, if uh, if greed and stupidity went out of uh, business, uh, my kids would be very hungry mm. and barefoot. Um, thankfully, um, you know, the, the, the motivation to make money, um, sometimes it's because of a real need, often it's because of a great desire um, to be wealthy, um, and but there's just a lot of greed in the world, um, and and sometimes that that greed, that desire um, to uh, to have something that you don't have is so overwhelming that it uh, it, it pulls people into uh, a direction that uh, would be better if they didn't go there. And when they're calling you up, is there immediately a level of regret? Is there fear? What what are the emotions that you feel? come in from the other side of the phone? There's often fear. Um, they're, they're nervous. Um, but then again, you know, it's very hard for someone to, even to a lawyer who they called, who they're paying, um, it's very hard initially for someone to um, fess up entirely about their conduct. It's, uh, it was an eye-opener to me because they're calling me, they're paying me, uh, they're asking me for my assistance. But they might not necessarily tell me the complete story. Mm. Um, and eventually I developed this speech that I tell all my clients, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange thing because I'm going out there for you to try to represent you. And if I don't know the full, you know, landscape, um, I may step in a landmine. But, you know, the way it works in this circumstance uh, as a lawyer client is if I step on the landmine, it's your leg that gets blown off, not mine. Mm. Um, and so it's in your best interest to tell me. And sometimes as a community member, I say, you know, if you don't want to tell me everything because you're embarrassed, because you think you're going to run into me at some, you know, communal event, someone else's bar mitzvah, take a lawyer who you think you'll never see again. That could be smart for you. That could be the right thing. Um, then you could totally unburden yourself without ever wondering if, uh, if you know, I'm going to show up in, uh, in your life in some other context. Wow. So I know you've dealt with criminal law, building codes, zoning codes, laws related to nonprofits. Is there a common theme of the, the legalities that are being broken within it? Not really. It, it's the, the common theme, as I said, is somebody just does what they want to do. They're, they have this end goal in mind um, – whether it's to, you know, do a certain transaction, build a certain building, make a certain amount of money, and they're focused entirely on that end goal, and therefore they uh, tend to ignore some of the other, you know, some of the issues that along the way might become an obstacle um, to that end goal, you know, and even if it wouldn't prevent it, sometimes it would delay it 
to the point that they're not interested. So that's really the common theme is just this entire focus that's driven by, you know, um, sometimes it's making money. Obviously, individual, if it's an institution, it may not be making money. It may just be, you know, um, you know, we want to do this, whatever, whatever this is, you know, uh, complete this building, do this project, whatever the this is. It's a, it's it's an entire focus on that, um, to the exclusion of of, of some of the um, some of the tasks that they're supposed to take along the way, or or as I said, some of the issues that that might become an obstacle might be a little contrary to that goal that they've identified. There's a tweet that we saw this morning, actually, from our friend AY. He's at AIM Humor, A-I-M Humor on Twitter. And he says, live your life in a way that Netflix won't have to write a documentary about you one day. And, and I think that might be a good way of thinking about it, that anything you do in private, imagine one day that it will all be, you know, we're not talking afterlife, but imagine one day will all, all your emails, all your text messages, all your actions will be presented to the court of law. You want to be able to walk out of there. You want to have a basically a boring Netflix documentary, right? Where they see your story and they're like, this is not for us. There's nothing here. People should should behave in a way that, you know, another way to say it is right, we'll make your mother proud, right? Um, uh, most people, you know, wouldn't want their mother to think ill of them. Um, and so if, if, if their mother were, were in every interaction, they might all of a sudden behave somewhat differently. And so maybe that's another way of, of, of thinking about it. I like that. So you, you mentioned mother, parents, children. Let's talk about some ideas of how you can advise our audience to educate their children in areas so that this is something we proactively tackle, where if someone ever does come into a situation where greed might be slipping in and taking over, where the child has that plan of action and they say, oh, I'm ready for this. Well, I think you want to talk about values, right? I think um, it's important for people to to ensure that their children know what the parents think are important, the kind of values, the kind of behavior. Um, and, and that, you know, can be transmitted in many ways. <clears throat> Excuse me, who are the heroes who you talk about? If, if you spend the time around the table always talking about this rich guy in the community who's driving a crazy car or wearing a crazy watch, that's going to create a certain um, model in the eyes of a child about, you know, what, what you're supposed to attain in life, what you're supposed to look for. If, if the models are people who live lives of, of modesty and, and charity and, you know, whose, uh, whose, whose good deeds are speak for them, not, you know, their material things um, – then, then your children have a, have a different goal to, uh, to shoot for. You mentioned driving that fancy car, and we've seen in the world at large, especially in our community, and we've discussed this extensively with previous guests, that <coughs> striving, striving towards the attainment of more material goods, whether it's cars, houses, clothing, and the feeling that you need to keep up with the Jones, or in Jewish vernacular, keeping up with the Cones, are you worried with the heavy infrastructural costs, the cost of Jewish school tuition, um, keeping kosher, that it could lead people to feel like they have no choice but to bend the rules? So it, it, that's an interesting question. I mean, surely, surely, you know, Jewish life in, uh, in, in New York and elsewhere in the 21st century is expensive. As you said, you know, thankfully, um, um, we view we view you know yeshiva and day school attendance as as a necessity, not a choice. 
um, uh, often summer programs of one sort or another are a necessity, not a choice, right? Because we, uh, we, we don't just teach our kids um, through, through education, you know, through school, certain, certain laws and certain rules, right? But they live it, right? The whole thing is a totally immersive experience where they live it. And so um, all these things are expensive, and it, it creates a pressure to, um, to frankly, to, to earn a nice living mm-hmm. because otherwise, otherwise it becomes very difficult. And then once you've created this pressure to earn a nice living, it's very hard to tell somebody, okay, you know, stop now because you've paid your tuition and you've given your charity and, uh, you know, and, and now you can, you, you've had enough and go home. You've, you've, you've created these, these you know, very focused, um, hardworking robots who have to go out and, 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 and really succeed. If you think about society at large, mm-hmm. right, the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that, that it might take to support a, a, a large family, right? Thank God uh, we, we, have, we have large families, certainly relative to, to the broader society. So if you think about the, the, the sums that it takes to support such a family, right, it's, uh, it, it, it's in the upper echelons of what, you know, the average American earns. And then, you know, so people having created this business, having entered that profession, having succeeded, sometimes want to share some of those rewards, right? It's very hard to create people to say, work this hard, succeed to that level so that you can pay tuition, send your kid to camp, support your synagogue, you know, do other community things. And, you know, often people say, well, what's, what's for me? So, okay, I've done all that. Now, you know, I want the nice car. I want mm-hmm. the nice watch. I want, you know, the addition on my house. I want, you know, the, the crazy vacation. And, and you know, um, so, so we've pushed people, right, toward a, a certain level of material success that's necessary just for the basics, but then it goes beyond that. So um, to a certain extent, right, you know, some of the community pressures have created the monster. Mm. It's scary. It's scary to think about that people are feeling a certain pressure which may cause them to... Uh bend the rule. Let's talk about things that have come across your desk that got people into trouble. But I want to hear about the instances where someone calls you up and you can tell that they earnestly were not even aware that they were in some sort of bind, that it's taken them by surprise. You know, it's... uh, Does that happen? uh, it, it doesn't happen, you know. I'm not saying everything happens, right? Right. Everything happens. You know, people are unsuspecting. They get taken advantage of. Mm. They enter into a into a, into an agreement or into an arrangement, which you know there's a sophisticated party um, who who takes advantage of them and and puts them in a certain um, in a certain place that they shouldn't be. That happens, but but as I said, it's it's so you have people who have blinders like that, or people who who just don't don't understand what's going on, or don't want to understand what's going mm-hmm. on. But but by and large, that's not the, the the larger sense of the problem, right? The the, the larger sense of the problem is that you know um, people look and they say, well, look at that guy, he got away with it, right? Mm. He's he's he, he's a, a person of prominence. He's a person in a position of of honor. He's a person who people look up to. And you know, I want to be like him, um, and that's that, that. That's really the more frequent um, um, behavioral pattern than it is somebody who's just you know inadvertently found themselves in a bad place. That happens, but you, you know, that's that that that's not the the problem that I think needs addressing um, in the first instance. What are some of the red flags if someone is listening and they've entered into a partnership where they're going about it earnestly, but they have some questions about uh, a business partner. What are some of those red flags that people should keep in mind to say, hey, 
maybe I should back out of this deal. Listen, if 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 you're not right, if you don't understand what's going on, if if you're you're walled off from a big part of what's going on, if you get complaints because you're the person out there in, in the front. And when you go back to your partner or your funder or something, and he says, "Oh, don't worry about it, or I'll handle it, or something," and, and, and you never see the full picture, you know that should be a red flag. Listen, I think often there are there are wonderful people in our community, um, whether they're rabbis or successful business people, community leaders, who will give of their time and their expertise. So if you find yourself in this situation, right, there is someone who will explain and who's seen the world and and who has a broad picture who can probably guide you and advise you. About, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, often it is. If the person says, don't worry so often, probably you should worry. We talk about business partnerships, and sometimes people will enter into a business deal using other people's money. Um, Whether they're borrowing it, um, they're giving equity, but they don't have a plan from day one on how they're going to return that money. Maybe it's riskier than they would like it to be. Is that a smart thing to do, or is that just that's just business? I think every situation is different. Um, if 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 the funder um, knows what he's doing, if you're going into some real estate deal and they're putting up equity and they're as experienced as you are, so um, you know everybody has their eyes open. On the other hand, you know if you're if you're going around to everybody you know who who you knew in school and say well you had a few dollars put away because you got wedding gifts or bar mitzvah gifts or something so so you know lend that to me mm-hmm. that's a whole different situation because you know the funder knows nothing mm-hmm. um and uh you know it's it's listen people should be um as careful with other people's money as they are with their own now listen capital is an important thing. People, you know, grow businesses because because there's capital to be had, because people invest, because people lend, and that's a fine thing. If there were no capital, if nobody lent money, if nobody invested money, um, that would not be good. On the other hand, you know, as I said, you have to be honest and upfront um, with it. If, if you're borrowing money to pay your current living expenses and you're just calling it a business because hopefully I'll have an idea how mm-hmm. to pay it back, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going into a business and, you know, some sophisticated successful person is is willing to uh, put up some of the money for a share of the profits. That's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And now a quick word from a sponsor. Approved funding. Hmm. Yep. 35-year-old mortgage banker prides itself on providing hands-on real estate and financial advice to those people looking for the best mortgage options. So if you are in the market for a mortgage, look up approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. They are different than your regular typical mortgage broker. Why? They're a privately held mortgage bank. They set their own pricing margins consistently. They give their clients aggressively low rates and reduced fees because they're not a mortgage broker. They don't need to charge the clients any points or broker fees. Normally, in the world of sports, points are good. Not when it comes to buying a house and needing a mortgage. So say goodbye to points. Shmuel Shaiwitz, good friend of the podcast, 25-year veteran, president of Approved Funding. He reached out, loves what we're doing with Kosher Money, and he says, let's align ourselves and do work together. They're focused on your financial strategies. They're going to help you in the short term, long term. When you reach out to them, call Shmuel, tell them Kosher Money sent you, and they'll waive, get this, Yaakov, all bank fees. Ooh, 
800. Uh, I'm going to call them. 800. You're in the market for a house, right? Yes. 800-475-0123. Number again. Always wanted to say that. 800-475-0123. We'll drop the link in the show notes. Approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. Now and, I, ba- and I just want to say that we have gotten a few... Uh, advertisers wanting to advertise with us and sometimes it wasn't the right fit and sometimes you know we didn't we did a little research and we didn't think they were actually good for the people listening we have a responsibility to give you the best of the best and we love what approved funding is doing and that's why we're partnering up with them check them out now back to this week's episode during your course of work and throughout the years have you been inside a prison I have many, many, many years ago. Many years ago. Many years Was ago. that related to the, to the work? And, and when you're inside a prison, do you see a certain level of regret from people that you wouldn't see before the verdict came it, about? It, it was a state prison. It was many years ago. Certainly it was a sobering um, experience. Uh-huh. And uh, yes, I often wonder whether if you, if, if you um, took you know, teenagers who were prison, whether it would make a lifelong impression on them. The answer is it probably, the answer is it probably would. Maybe there's, there's, nothing, a, there's nothing glorious about it. Maybe that maybe that's part of the education here, right? In a nonprofit where we arrange uh, coach buses to bring people through that and show them where it can go wrong. Yeah, I, I think, listen, uh, sure, scaring them straight seems like a shortcut to... Uh, uh-huh. To getting them to uh, to stay away from bad behavior, I think it's more important. Right? Is is not is not scaring them away from from improper behavior. It's teaching them the beauty and the value of proper behavior. Uh-huh. And really, I think certainly as we're talking about children and teenagers, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, talking from a from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, uh-huh. right? Here's a challenge that we have. Right? We live in a world where society's values are divergent from our own in so many areas. Mm -hmm. And so we have to teach our kids that, listen, we have our lives and we have our values, we have our Torah, we have our mitzvot. And 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 that's really what's paramount. And and that often diverges from what society teaches. And we have to follow our 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 path, the path of our fathers, our grandfathers, all the way from Sinai. And and that's all true. That and that's that's the challenge of the day to raise a kid in, 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 in contemporary society today. At the same time, right, we can't educate our kids to totally ignore society's values mm-hmm. because, right, there are certain values in terms of governing conduct of our lives that are antithetical to the way we live. On the other hand, there are certain values that are also Torah values, right? How you treat your neighbor, how you treat other people's money, not stealing, doing what's appropriate. Those, you know, those are not just society's values, right? Those are our values also. Those are core Torah values. Um, but but sometimes that gets lost, right? So I, I, I like to say it this way, right? You know, kashrus reflects right a core Jewish value. It's ours alone. Nobody else in the world is interested in kashrus other than than us. And so we really, you know, refine and hone that value. We don't, for the most part, don't look for shortcuts, right? We want to know who's the mashgiach, who's Ashkach, is it, is it Yashon, is it Chal Yisrael? We have we have all our stringencies around kashrus. When it comes to yashrus. Not as much, mm-hmm. um, necessarily, right? You know, that's a larger society goody value. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably we'd be a lot better if our kids understood that, you know, kashrus is a value of the Torah and yashrus is a value of the Torah. Mm-hmm. And just like mommy and daddy and every, Bobby and Zadie, our parents and grandparents are so careful about 
kashrus. We're so careful about yashrus. And if kashrus and yashrus were on the same equal plane, mm-hmm. I think we'd be in a lot better place. Right. You've told the story of the rabbi who was approached every, uh, every September, October, when we have the mitzvah, the biblical commandment to... Um, Shake the uh, citrus and the uh, and the branch and the lulav and the esrog and people come to him to make sure that their their fruits are are pure and there's no blemish. But he says, "What does he say?" He says he he he, he noted that people come to him with, with with these questions, but not with questions about business conduct. Right. And uh, you know, he says essentially, you know, almost every fruit is is kosher, and perhaps. Almost every dollar is tainted, uh-huh. and uh, he, he, you know, it, it was it said in an exaggerated way to make a point, right? Which is, and the point is, just like in this area of your life, which is exclusively religious, right? You know, the only people who care about, you know, the the patterns of the growth of these fruits mm-hmm. are, are, are Jews. Just like you ask questions in this realm of our Jewish life, um, so too you should ask questions on the business realm of our life, and that's really the trick of the day for for, for an Orthodox Jew. The trick. Or, or, or the quest, shall I say, is to understand we live one single unified life. It's not as if we have a set of rules or values that govern us in synagogue or govern us in our homes on Shabbos, and then we go out into business or professional worlds and there's a different set of rules. Mm-hmm. There's one single set of rules. And, and when we realize that, when we realize that, you know, what we pray for in the morning, what we study when we study the Talmud um, or the Mishnah or the Bible, um, is applicable to our entire lives, um, and, and then people, you know, tend to lead the lives that that don't intersect with my professional life, which is a good thing. And and listen, I think it bears saying that right. Most people, overwhelmingly, people do that. They live, you know, lives of of uh, of charity and of modesty and of just you know, sacrifice, providing for their families. Uh, living within their community, helping others. Um, and, of course, those are the people who no one talks about, mm-hmm. right? And so probably once in a while we should just, you know, put those people on a pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. Here he is. He's worked for 30 years, you know, in this government agency. He's moved up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he barely gets by, but he gets up early every morning, goes to synagogue. He, he then studies, gets on a train, goes to the office, packs a sandwich, you know, comes home and spends time with his kids. No one has a bad word to say about him because mm-hmm. he's just a mensch, whether he's at work, in shul, right? That's the hero. That's really that. what you want your kid to be. Yeah. And instead, unfortunately, it's, you know, if the guy with the, as the kids would say, the guy with the sick car and the sick watch and the mm-hmm. sick house, those are the people who get, you know, exalted, put on a pedestal, and, and that's not good. Right. We got to make uh, everyday heroes come out with a Jewish publication which uh, highlights the people that are doing it right, even though it's not glamorous. I really like that. Um, let's talk about double lives. I know there's a story you mentioned from a student from Rabbi Hutner. Can you walk yes. us through that? Sure. So, so Rabbi Hutner was one of the great Jewish educators and great Jewish leaders of the uh, of the 20th century. And uh, he he was the uh, the leader of Yeshiva Rechaim Berlin. And he just had a... He, he, you My know, alma mater. Your alma mater, you see that? And uh, he, he could have... Uh, Right? He would have been one of the world's greatest psychologists had he chosen that mm. field because he understood human nature, he understood people, and, uh, and he was just a great motivator and a great teacher, you know, beyond being a great scholar. And um, there's, a, there's a large uh, series of, uh, of, of volumes that uh, uh, were published that contain some of his teachings and contain his writings, and, and, and including correspondence. And there's a very famous letter um, 
um, that he received from a student of his, and, and he responded, and the response is, is what's printed. And the student left the yeshiva, you know, graduated, had done his studies, and moved on and, and into a professional life. And he wrote to, to Rabbi Hutner with um, especially a concern, or, you know, now that he's outside the walls of the yeshiva after all those years, now he has this whole different, you know, professional business life. And uh, as a footner expressed it in his response, you know, he felt he was living, living a double life, right? I have, I have my life of, of uh, you know, of my community, of my, of my prayer, of my study, and now I have my professional life, and my double life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, the footner wrote back, well, you know, a double life is not healthy. And, but the point is, you know, he gave, he gave an example. He says, you know, you've now left yeshiva, that's fine. Um, it's a natural course of things. Um, you reach a certain age, you have certain responsibilities, so that's what you're doing. Um, he says, listen, somebody who, who, who adds a room to his house, right, who expands his house, is not living a double life. He says someone who, who rents a hotel room in, in, in the same area he lives is probably leading a double life. Um, and so that's a, you know, if, if you add a room, you're leading a broader life. And he said the trick is to lead a broader life. The trick is to understand that, you know, everything that you learned in school is not only is applicable is equally applicable to your professional life mm. to your business life to your commercial life and, uh, and and if you do that you know you'll 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 sanctify God's name by your everyday professional conduct yeah. you not only bring sanctity to yourself and your community and your family and your and your God in your prayers but you're bringing you know sanctity to that in the, in your conduct with others and if you think like that right you'll you'll behave a different way if you think I'm supposed to live one unified, broad life that reflects, you know, the values that I've been raised, you know, to, to adhere to, we wouldn't have, you know, uh, this conversation. I love that. And you guessed it, another commercial. This one's from Kolel Chabad. They are a nonprofit caring for Israel's neediest people since, get this, 1788. Wow. That's over 225 years. Older than me. Yeah, it's older than me. Yeah, yeah, I did the math before the show. Older than me, too. Mm. So regardless of age, ethnicity, religious observance, this nonprofit organization is helping combat hunger daily in partnership with the Israeli government, and they need your help. Although they do have an army of volunteers that are delivering food to over 100,000 isolated seniors across Israel, they still need help. Um, Every donation counts, every penny, every shekel. Visit kolelchabad.org, C-O-L-E-L, Chabad, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. We're going to put the link in the show notes and help this wonderful charity support the neediest people of Israel. Donate today, again, every dollar counts and you know people watching this show i would imagine most people watching they wouldn't mind having a few more dollars in their pocket and we definitely believe in this idea when you give you get and you always want to be on the giving side so if you could be right now on the giving side please give them some cash or as much as you can and again the link is in the show notes yeah when we talk about meister giving a tenth of what you make away to charity. This is an excellent charity that should be on your giving list. And we can't thank you enough. Now back to this week's episode. From your list of clients, do you see that there's a break in the communication between, assuming that they're married, between them and their spouse when it comes to um, someone who may have done something wrong that the wife or the husband is taken by surprise, that they, they've never seen it coming? Sure, that, 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 that surely does happen. 
I remember. So I, I before I um, before I was uh, a lawyer in private practice, I worked in government for about mm-hmm. a decade, and I was uh, a deputy attorney general in New York, and we once um, we once sued a uh, well known Jewish businessman, who um, who settled for an extraordinarily large sum of money, um, in the many tens of millions of dollars. And but years, he doesn't have to admit wrongdoing, yeah, right? In yeah, that case, yeah, yeah, years later, I was at some social event, and somebody you know introduces me to him. I, I had known him. I wasn't really involved in, in the case, but I was a senior person in the office. And someone introduced me to him at a social event, and he was very pleasant. And his wife literally turned her back to me. Turned her back to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it made no sense, right? Here he, he was. He was the one who was the, you know, involved in the back and forth with us, and he was, you know, fine with me. And I repeated it back to, uh, to, to, to the attorney general at the time, and uh, he says, oh, it makes perfect sense because he knows what he did. <laughs> and so uh-huh. he doesn't take it personally. He knows what he did. He, he paid his fine and moved on. His wife needs to think that, you know, he's this, you know, terrific, wonderful person who would never do anything wrong. And so, you know, she, she holds it against you. Um, and so, sure, uh, very often um, um, one, doesn't, uh, one doesn't know. I think most often it's, it's, it's the rarer case where it's a uh, family plan. So we're blessed to live in a country with a government that's created a meaningful financial backstop and programs for people that need it, whether it's assistance, especially during COVID. Um, There's obviously a risk that comes along with these programs because it becomes very hard for people to get off of it, whether it's insurance related. And there could be potentially an encouragement of unethical behavior. So give us your thoughts about public policy values um, of these programs, and how should people think about them in a healthy way? I, I think there's, they're there. They exist. Um, uh, people who need them, people who are entitled to them, or institutions that are entitled to them, should absolutely avail themselves of them, right? We're, we're, we're members of this larger society, um, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with participating, you know, fully in the fabric of life, which includes a safety net that's part of the fabric mm-hmm. of, of, of life. On the other hand, right, well, we can't have an attitude that say, oh, what a waste if we don't take something, right? It's there for the taking, mm-hmm. so it'd be like a, a waste. It would be like, you know, um, like, like throwing something, you know, good uh, away <laughs> without using it. And, of course, that's not the case. Um, if, if you're not entitled to it, you're not entitled to it. And, you know, you, you, and again, sometimes there's this sense of, well, you know, we need it, we could use it, everything in government's a waste mm-hmm. anyway, um, and, and that's unhealthy and that leads, and that leads to problems. So, um, you know, lawyers, right, lawyers often are lawyerly, that's what lawyers do. Um, and often was sort of formalistic and legalistic, right? You know, where's the comma in, in, in that third clause in the, uh, in the regulation? And if the comma is there and, and followed by and or or also, what does it mean? And that's lawyer's life, right? It, it, it wouldn't be great if everybody lives like lawyers, right? I mean, there's a reason there's a lot of lawyer jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but often I think people sort of like to lead formalistic lives of like, well, you know, it's not so clear that it's wrong, and it's not, you know, who knows for sure if it's wrong, and, and whose burden of proof is it to prove if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And if we do too much of that, right, if everybody acts in that legalistic, formalistic way, that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not a good thing. 
You had mentioned, um, and I, I know you've, you've quoted this in other speeches, um, in the Talmud where the rabbis are talking about the ancient city of Sodom and that that city was punished because they incorporated the attitude of shali shali versus shalach shalach, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Um, is that healthy or unhealthy for a society? I know we can garner uh, what the Torah and the Bible thinks about it, but... What's so wrong with what's yours is yours, what's mine is mine? There's a clear divide. It seems like it's a legal way of looking about who, who owns what. Well, I, I think this goes to the point I was just making about, about you know, people being too legalistic or formalistic, right? So, so, so it, it, it doesn't include any thinking about the other, right? It's only, okay, so there's me and there's me and that's, you know, everything flows toward me and there's you and that's you. And, and if, if one never takes into account the other... I mean, right, let's think of it this way. We have free speech in this country, mm-hmm. right, which means if you're walking by, I could, you know, loudly call you a name. I'm legally allowed to do that. Nobody thinks that's normal behavior, <laughs> right? Nobody says, wow, he's vindicating his First Amendment right. <laughs> he sits outside Dunkin' Donuts, and he looks at somebody, and he says, you jerk, you know, you dress like a slob, you don't look nice, you know. Turns to his wife and says, you married him? That's all First Amendment-protected activity, mm-hmm. right? Nobody would say, that's a great person. He learned the First Amendment, and he's operating within it. Mm-hmm. They'd say he's a jerk and a misery. And you tell your kids, right, don't be him. That's what you want from your kids. And, and that same kind of ideal has to flow through, through other sorts of conduct where, you know, if you just look at it as like some formalistic way, right, nobody wants to live with their neighbors like that, right, you know? It's like, okay, I put up a wall uh, over you or, you know, the building code says I can I can bang my drums outside your house until 11 p.m. So I do it every night just because I could. Um, and, and again, over and over in, in, in our conduct with others, um, in, in all sorts of commercial contexts, right? That, that's, that's what you want. I mean, no one ever tells good stories about the person who took every last bit of advantage because they can, right? That's not... In a larger that's right in a larger world that's not the behavior that we look at it's the kind of person who 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 was kind of considerate towards somebody else again you're allowed to engage you should engage in business you should make a profit you should be successful but but you should also do that within a framework of taking into account you know your customers your employees um everybody else i mean if somebody you know if somebody says well he's brilliant he says he doesn't pay anybody one nickel over minimum wage mm-hmm. well look he's operating within the law right it's like okay mm-hmm. you know but maybe somebody who's worked there for a long time um you should i mean you know again we think about it certainly right if if your kid or your neighbor or your cousin were employed there you wouldn't be talking about that guy as a hero because he never gave anybody a nickel mm-hmm. over over minimum wage you'd, you'd say you'd probably have some other way to think you'd about operate, it again i'm, I'm not arguing about wages i'm not saying everybody every job but I'm, I'm just trying to make a larger point about you can be operating fully within the law and yet everybody thinks you're a jerk. Right. Uh, and, and, and so, you, you know, if everybody thinks you're a jerk, there's probably a reason for it. I'm sure many in private are operating their First Amendment right uh, about calling that person a jerk. So let's say there are people listening to this and they feel that maybe they broke a law or they recall some, unha- uh, they recall some haziness related to something that they did and they want to be proactive about it. They want to try to fix it before it becomes something larger or be, or before they receive a threatening phone call, a letter comes from the IRS, a subpoena, something of that nature. What should they do? Listen, they, 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 most 
most businessmen will have someone they can turn to. You know, it may be it may not be a lawyer, but it may be an accountant who is obviously familiar with with many of the laws, and almost every business has an accountant. It may be a mentor or, or someone more experienced or successful or larger in the same field who you've come to know. It may be, you know, a rabbi. It may be a community leader. Um, you know, it could be a lawyer, but it, it surely doesn't have to be. Um, and, and you should, you know, you should talk to that person about, about uh, you know, what, um, you know, what you're worried about, what you're doing, you know, and, and, and get some guidance um, because that's obviously the best time the best time to do it is when it's not a problem. But you, people are afraid to do it on the phone because the feds are listening. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, sure. So I, <laughs> I, I, I tell all my clients it's 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 unfortunate that they have to hear this, but you're not that interesting. You're not that interesting. Not that interesting. They're not no, listening. No one cares. Are there keywords so, you think that? Sorry to tell you, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody no, cares but someone, about your life. Someone, you know, if you mention the word taxes or owing uh, money, uh, it I, triggers I, something in 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 yeah, there's Washington. A there's a satellite that's orbiting right. that's just hearing every time you say tax and 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 taping it. And I think I think we've all read too many books and maybe watched too many TV shows, right? You know, where there's a satellite and right away it it, it pings for there. You see the line like up up from New York. Thinking over to right, Washington, right, into right. you know, right. into the, the supercomputer. I, right. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that's happening. Get the advice. You, you, you could talk on the phone. Right. Your phone. I mean, obviously, it's possible. You know, in in some uh, somebody somewhere is having you know a phone tap, but really, it, it, it's not you. It's very limited. No, because people when they look at um, law documents and trial papers, they see okay on WhatsApp, you sent this and this. You know, they've extracted that those those messages from the social networks or, you know, like you mentioned, the phone tap. So this idea exists, but people are afraid to pick up that phone because we have to meet well, in person. The, the phone's a lot better. I mean, sure, emails exist forever and, and, and texts can exist and they can go back and extract messages from phones. And so I'm not saying somebody should confess their sins to a non-lawyer um, in mm-hmm, writing, mm-hmm. but but calling somebody up and getting some advice is, is, is really a lot... Um, um, it's a lot safer than ignoring it because maybe I'm that one in a million who has a, a, a wiretap. If you have a wiretap, if you, if you think you have a wiretap, you really should be getting professional help. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the lesson to take from that is I shouldn't try to figure out what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> the lesson to take is get yourself, you know, uh, some professional help uh, quickly. Right. On the flip side, the, the pro there is you're actually interesting to the Fed. So you have that going for you. When someone's phones are tapped and... They clearly did something wrong, and they're going through the uh, legal proceedings, and the verdict is guilty. What are what are the consequences of that? Well, there's a whole range of consequences. Obviously, there's a financial consequence. Um, you know, you, 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 your business. You know, um, you may no longer be able to engage in business. Banks may no longer lend to you. Um, government may shut you down. Customers don't want to deal with you. Uh, so that's consequence number one. Number two, all of a sudden, you're no longer here to your wife uh, um, and your kids um, and, and your community. Um, and so that, that's that. Um, but then there's really, from a communal sense, there's, there's a broader context, a broader consequence, I'm sorry, which is to say that we, we, we live very often, you, can, you, you're, you spend your mornings or your evenings, so you're in a synagogue, you're, you're among like-minded people, and, and we all are within one sort of, sort of band of, of conduct or appearance. But, you know, to the outside world, as an Orthodox Jew, you, you, you represent something. You stand for something, right? It may be in their mind a rabbi. And, and you may be the only one that they know or know well or interact with frequently. 
And when, when you misbehave or when people read about such misbehavior, when someone sees such misbehavior, whether it's someone in government or, or someone in, in, in business or someone in a bank, it has an impact on how they think about other Jews, other Orthodox Jews. It has an impact in how, how, how trusting they'll be of other Orthodox Jews. So um, it, it really gets into, really expands very widely in terms of the, the consequences of it in, in negative ways. You're, you're, you're damaging the community, you're damaging the standing of the community, you're damaging the, the brand, if you will, of the, of the community, and that, and, and that extracts something for people. I mean, I, I learned that lesson early on in my career. I was in government, I mentioned, and I worked for the Attorney General, and the, the, the big political event in New York every year is the state of the state address when the governor addresses the legislature uh, about, you know, the upcoming plans for the year, the goals, the priorities, the budget, and so on and so forth. And uh, there's a room right off the, uh, uh, the floor of the legislature where, you know, the senior elected officials and their top aides gather. So the first time I went, I'm with the Attorney General, and um, the governor is on the other side of the room, and there are Court of Appeals judges there, so a few other people, and the governor heads right over to our direction, to me and the, um, um, and the Attorney General, and he comes right over me and he puts his, uh, his uh, one arm on my shoulder and grabs my hand in that firm political handshake. The other one, he says, Rabbi, thank you so much for coming today to deliver the invocation. Uh, because he saw somebody with a beard and a yarmulke, and he assumed I'm the rabbi to open the session. Mm-hmm. And the attorney general said, well, he's not a rabbi governor, and if it would be, he'd be mine, not yours. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and a couple of years later, at the same event, at this point, you know, there's a new governor, and I'm there with the new governor. And uh, one of the court of appeals judges, uh, I'm, I'm talking to her, and, and another judge comes over, and uh, as, as the, uh, the chief judge of the court of appeals is about to introduce me to this other judge, the other judge says, oh, I know who he is, and she, she opens up the program. She says, Rabbi Feinstein, what an honor to meet you. <laughs> uh, and like, so, so, so to them, I'm a rabbi, and to them, I'm, I'm, I'm the Orthodox Jew they know, so God forbid if I had you know, done something wrong and misbehaved, it wouldn't just be about what I did, it would be about what this representative of the Jewish people did. And all of us should think of ourselves that way. We should think about how our conduct reflects on the broader community, how our conduct leaves either a positive or negative impression on you know on, on, on the person we're interacting with about Orthodox Jews about Jews, and you know if you if you do a kindness, um, they're likely to react you know more kindly generally to uh, to others. And on the other hand, if you act in in a sharp way, um, let alone in a in an illegal or impermissible way, it's going to leave the other impression and lead to other consequences. And so I think we should all take that with us in our in our daily interactions and. Uh, you know, the more we keep that front of mind, I think the uh, the fewer sort of negative stories we'll uh, we'll read. Let's end on a positive note. Sure. Someone who has been through this, paid for their mistakes financially, jail time, whatever it may be. Have you seen people repent? You know, tshuva, repentance is a very key focus, and it's a, a pillar of uh, Judaism. Have you seen people? come back, turn their lives around, and, and become better people after making a mistake? Absolutely. People, people, you know, as you said, it's a Jewish value of repentance, and it's, I think, uh, you know, um, it's an American value of, of liking, you know, second act, second chances. Mm-hmm. And, and what it all turns on is, is the sincerity, right? If, when, when people perceive that the wrongdoer is sincerely um, sorry for what he did, you know, sincerely regrets the pain he caused, sincerely, 
you know, uh, undertakes not to engage in the same pattern of behavior. When, when, when people see that, they react positively and they're like, listen, life is long. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Some mistakes are more public. Some mistakes are private. Some mistakes hurt others. Some, some don't. But, but I think there's a wide acceptance of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of people who, who honestly regret what they did. And there's a, a great willingness to see people like that succeed. It's a wonderful example of, you know, it, it, not, not every penalty is a, a, a life penalty or a death penalty in terms of, of, of business. And, you know, people can improve, people can get better, and, and people do. And I think when that happens, everybody's happy. Avi, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We're coming at you fast. Right now, we're releasing an episode every two weeks. We are now in season three. Can you believe it? Yeah. This was our 21st episode. Lucky 21. And episode 22 a goodie. is a goodie. We recorded it. Um, it's a little bit of a longer episode. We're going into the world of, can I say? Yeah, I guess so. Why not? Health insurance, medical insurance. Which, it's, it's been a topic that people have been dying for you to speak to someone about. Well, dying in health insurance <laughs> is not something I would align. They've been living l'chaim. It's a, it's, it's a real cost. Every month, people could be spending two, $3,000, depending on where they live. Or more, depending on yeah. how many kids they have. Yeah, and it, it's very costly. Well, I don't know if it goes by how many children you have. No? Does it? I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not at that stage yet. Well, that's I one question imagine. I didn't ask. Okay. We <laughs> we'll bring it back for a part two. Yeah. Excellent guest. Can't wait to show you who it is. And I want to tell everyone about the big news. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Could I get a drum roll? I wasn't actually. It's probably like very loud in the ears. So, okay. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on Apple or Spotify or wherever, that's great. But we've had a few people reach out and say, hey, I don't have internet in my home and my my brother is telling me to to watch or listen to kosher money so now you could listen to kosher money via phone call and we're gonna drop the phone so they pick up the phone they pick up they the dial phone. a phone number and boom they get to listen to they could select which episode uh-huh. they want to listen to they can listen to any living time show and the u.s number is 712-432-3489 one more time 712-432-3489. We have a number in the UK, a number in Israel as well. We'll drop that in the show notes. So now, if you're saying, hey, maybe I don't have good internet or Wi-Fi service, or I don't want to waste my Wi-Fi on listening, you can still listen via phone call. Uh, so data so, and rates apply. I don't, yeah. I don't know the so, so that. It's not an 800 number, right? No. I don't think payphones exist anymore. But if someone did have a payphone, they can pick up the payphone, dial the number. I think it's every... Th- Three minutes used to be a quarter you have to pay. But most of you so have landlines. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. You can listen on the road. If you don't have a good internet connection, um, this is just another way we're giving you kosher money. Until next time, keep your money kosher. The Kosher Money Podcast is hosted by Ellie Langer, run by Zevi Woolman, Ellie Langer, and myself, Yaakov Langer. And it is produced by Living Lachaim. For more awesome podcasts and shows, check out livinglechaim.com. Check us up on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Living Lechaim.